How many of you have seen that movie? Yeah, isn't that an awesome movie? Especially for guys. There's just something about those movies that resonate with us. It brings a little bit of the gladiator out in us. I mean, think about all the movies that guys love to watch. Rambo, Braveheart, Die Hard. They all bring something out in us. I can remember when I was a kid and going to see Rocky. And afterwards, coming out of the theater, I can remember me and my friends, we were so pumped up. We felt like we could defeat anyone. I was only about 10 years old at the time, but I can remember that movie touching something deep inside of me. This desire for adventure or risk. This chance to overcome impossible odds. The need for danger. How many of you guys have seen the movie Act of Valor? It was a great movie too. How many of you wanted to sign up to be a Navy SEAL after seeing that movie? Because I did. I wanted to run headlong into battle right then and there. And the reason that is, is there's something about us as guys that's in all of us that we want to be a warrior. We all have a dangerous side to us. And I believe that God designed and created us that way for a reason. So for the past few weeks, we've been in our family series. And a couple of weeks ago, Don shared with us about what family looks like, that the meaning of family can be varied and blended and different, that we have blended families, single-parent families, even that our church is a family. And then Don talked about how God designed families for a reason, that the families are a part of God's answer to people's hurt, that we were designed to be in family. We were designed to live and grow amongst a group of people committed to each other, no matter what that we serve each other, we sacrifice for each other, we forgive each other, we protect each other, and that families are essential for fulfilling the purpose we were created for, to know God and to make Him known. And then last week, Brian and Sherry, they shared with us about the role of a woman in the family, that moms are safe, that they're nurturers, they're encouragers, and that the role of the wife is to come alongside her husband, not inferior to him, but side by side, as a helper, but, but not just as a counterpart, but as something that husbands desperately need. They also talked about the importance of priorities, God being first, spouse second, then kids, and then the world has to fight for the rest of it. And that it's important for us that if we don't check our priorities, they might get out of place and things start to fall apart. And so we need to check our priorities often to make sure we're moving in healthy directions. So today we're going to continue in our family series and we're going to talk about the role of men. And if moms are safe, then men are dangerous. And I think God likes it that way. I think he created us to have that dangerous side. In his book, Bringing Up Boys, Dr. James Dobson talks about the ways that boys are distinctively and instinctively different from girls. A study was done to show the different ways boys and girls think about risky behavior. This study showed that females tend to think hard about whether or not they could get hurt and that they're less likely to plunge ahead if there's any potential for injury. Boys, however, will take a chance if they think the danger is worth the risk. And impressing their friends and eventually girls is usually considered worth the risk. Another related study confirmed that girls are more fearful than boys. For example, they brake sooner when riding their bikes. 
They react more negatively to pain and try not to make the same mistake twice. Boys, on the other hand, are slower to learn from their mistakes, and they tend to think that their injuries were caused by bad luck, and that maybe their luck will be better next time. Besides, scars are really cool. And I don't know about you, but I look back at my childhood, and I wonder why I am still alive. I can remember so many stupid and dangerous things that I did as a kid, from jumping off the roof of my house with a sheet for a parachute, to running through the backyard with a pot on my head while a dozen other kids with BB guns shot at me. And I don't even want to talk about the time I burned my eyebrows and eyelashes off while lighting a pile of gunpowder in the garage. But think about the way that boys play. Racing cars, superhero battles, swords, super ninja rangers, gunfights. To this day, my son Alex will make a gun out of anything. Plastic bottle, gummy worm, you name it, it's a gun to him. He also loves anything that crawls. Spiders, lizards, snakes. If it crawls, he wants to catch it. His favorite pastime lately has been taking two bugs and putting them in a cage and watching them, and he films with his iPod Touch and films them as they battle to the death. Why is this? Some will argue that it's a learned behavior taught by their parents or by watching violent TV shows, but I don't buy that. I think it's just hardwired into every boy. God created men to have that warrior side to us. But that's not what the world will tell you. Society says that men are not supposed to be aggressive, that we should be passive, compliant, politically correct, correct making care to offend no one. I hate the picture that the media paints of a man. I mean, you look at almost any commercial or any TV sitcom centered around a husband and a wife, and how is the man portrayed? He's ignorant. He's incapable of any rational thought on his own. He's disinterested in any role as a husband or a father. And he's unable to solve even the simplest of problems and is only driven and motivated by his physical needs of food, sex, and sleep. And who do they portray as the hero? Well, it's the wife and mom, of course. Only she has the knowledge to solve problems, parent the kids, and keep everything on track with little or no help from her husband, who she only keeps around because he would die without her. Now, I know that they're just TV shows, but I believe that the underlining message bleeds throughout our society. I believe that masculinity, the masculinity of a man, is and has been under attack for a number of years. And the goal is to create a safe, more sensitive, more manageable kind of man, more feminine. Not really feminine, but more unisex, equal and the same. I mean, they will say that there is no longer a need for warriors. There's no one who needs defending. Nobody needs rescuing. There's nothing really worth dying for anymore. But see, I don't see it that way. I think God has a passion for warriors. I think God has a need for warriors. I mean, think about it. If man is created in God's image, that means that we carry some of the characteristics of God. And look how God is described in Exodus 15. It says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord 
is a warrior, and Yahweh is his name. In the Psalms, David talks about God in this way. He says, you, Lord, hear the desires of the afflicted. You encourage them, and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. And then later in Psalms 18, David says this about God. He says, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my Savior, my God is my rock, in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. See, all throughout Scripture, God is often portrayed as a warrior, a defender, a rescuer. That doesn't mean that God is only those things because there are many different sides to God. God is also described as tender and full of mercy, loving, patient, and kind. The point I'm trying to make is that we often look at the softer, gentler side of God and we forget the warrior, defender side. Look at how Christ is described in Revelation. It says, Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there, Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. And he wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses, From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Sounds pretty warrior-like to me. Now, I know this is the picture of Christ in his second coming. And Jesus is coming back as the conquering king the lion instead of the lamb. But I would argue that even in his first coming, Jesus wasn't this, just this meek, humbly, marshmallow Santa Claus Jesus that our stained glass pop culture has made him out to be. In fact, I would even say that Jesus lived a little dangerously. You could say that danger was his middle name. If we were to put how Jesus lived in our terms today, he would probably be on the FBI's most wanted list. And his wanted poster might read something like this. Wanted. Jesus, danger Christ. This man is a national security threat. He's known to hang out with thieves, prostitutes, murderers, and criminals of every sort, even counting a possible terrorist amongst his closest friends. He has broken the law on more than one occasion and has a huge problem with the local authorities. He continues to incite the public to resist and rebel against local laws and traditions. He was last seen in a state-established business, overturning furniture and beating people with a whip. He is extremely dangerous and should be approached with caution. Not the picture of Jesus you normally think of, is it? Now don't get me wrong, Jesus was all of those things that we think of, kind, gentle, humble, patient, and understanding. But when you look at the way that he took on the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those who were in power, those who made the laws, when you look at how he stood up for the injustices that were happening and the harsh words that he had for those abusing God's law for their own gain, he was no lamb. He was a warrior. 
In Matthew 23, Jesus stands up to the Pharisees and gives them seven woes. Now understand, at this point in his ministry, they wanted him dead and were trying to kill him. But he didn't back away. Here's just a part of that, of those seven woes. It says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. And we don't have time to go through all the seven woes, but it's really good, and you should go home and read it later, because you will see in that there is no gentleness for the Pharisees. I mean, his words to them are scathing and harsh. He's not holding back at all. He's standing up for what is right in the face of death, defending the oppressed, living countercultural, living dangerously. This is what a warrior does. Look at this story from Luke 13. On one Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. And Jesus saw her and he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. And then Jesus responds, You hypocrites. Each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she should be released and even on the Sabbath? This shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. Can't you just feel the anger in his words? I mean, he's so gentle to the woman, and he calls her dear. But with the leader of the synagogue, he stands his ground and shames him for doing what is wrong. You see, that is why I think God loves warriors. He desires men to live dangerously, to stand up for the injustice, to defend those who can't defend themselves, to live for what is right, no matter what the cost is. He desires men to live out their purpose, to live out the wild, dangerous part that's countercultural, to live a life that's more than just survival, but a life full of adventure that truly makes a difference in the lives of others and a difference in the community that he lives in, to live that life of a warrior. God is looking for warriors. The problem is there never seems to be many around. Jesus said this, he said, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Where are all the warriors? There's a huge battle for the souls of men, but there doesn't seem to be very many who are up for the battle. See, I think we've lost something as men. Maybe not lost, but definitely buried deep down and unseen. We've lost our passion for the fight. I mean, we're content to sit on the sidelines instead of joining the game. We're content to allow our wives to be the spiritual leaders in our home. 
We're content to allow others in the world to shape the morality of our children. We sit by and watch as the distance in our relationships with our wives and our kids gets larger and larger and larger, and we do nothing about it. We resign ourselves to passivity and keeping a low profile, making sure not to rock the boat. That is no way to live. And we know it's not. I mean, something deep inside of us, in our hearts, tells us it's not right. But we never change the course of our path. Why? Well, I think there's probably thousands of reasons as to why. But I think they ultimately come down to a couple. And the first is, is that we have not been told that we're men yet. And that's something that can only be done between a father and a son. My son Alex is 10 now, and he constantly vies for my attention. At an early age, it was his mother that he gravitated to. It was always, Mom, look at me. Mom, look at this. Mom, look what I can do. Mom, 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 are you looking? It was Mom that he cuddled up to. It was Mom that he went to when he scraped a knee. But more and more, the older that he gets, that isn't the case. It's all Dad now. Dad, look at these two bugs battling to the death. Dad, let's go catch venomous snakes. Dad, let's have a wrestling match. Dad, do you know the difference between viviparous and oviparous snakes? It's an actual question for my son. He knew it, I didn't. He is desperately looking to me for acceptance. He is constantly testing his strength and knowledge against mine. He wants to know if he has what it takes, if he measures up. He wants to know if he's a man yet. And he can only get that answer from his father. Before beginning his ministry, Jesus went to John the Baptist to be baptized. And as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. God is saying to his boy, you have what it takes. You are a man today, and I am proud of you. The, the power that a father has to shape and mold a boy's life is almost immeasurable. No one person should have that kind of effect on the outcome of a person, but man, do we ever have it. I almost wish we didn't have that responsibility because most of us fail at it. Every man that I have ever met suffers from a wound given to them by their father. For me, it was a fu growing up, my father was a guy who abandoned me, and he basically left me on my own to figure out what it, mean to be, what it meant to be a man. And what I wouldn't give this day, right now, just to hear my dad tell me that he loves me and that he accepts me, that I was worth something to him, that he was proud of me and what I've become. For others, it's having a father that's there physically, but the relationship is cold and distant and empty. For some, it's having a father you could never please no matter what you did or how hard you tried. Even those who have had a great childhood and an amazing relationship with their dads suffer from a wound dealt to them by their father. The second reason I think 
that we aren't the warriors God's called us to be, is that we don't have a cause to fight for. For whatever reason, we don't see the battle that's in front of us, or we ignore it. I mean, maybe it's because we've allowed the passion that we once had as men die, and it's been replaced by things of this world. Our careers, our hobbies, our entertainment, that's where all our time and energy and focus goes. And at the end of the day, we just don't have time or room for the cause of Christ. Maybe we just don't see the true value in it. I don't know. But I do know this. Something needs to awaken in us. Because like it or not, you are in the most important battle of your life. I mean, these things that we talk about from the stage, trusting in God, saying yes to Him in every area of your life, helping those in need, being the hands and feet of Jesus, sharing Christ with the world, these things aren't things we say just to get warm and fuzzy feelings. I mean, we don't do this just so we can come together, sing some songs, and go home feeling about, good about ourselves every week. We do it because there's a real enemy out there, and he's looking for any means possible to destroy you and your family. I mean, why is there so much pain in our families? Why is the divorce rate over 50% in Christian marriages? Why are churches all over the country declining in numbers? It's because we are under attack by a very real and determined enemy, and he has most of the warriors either blinded or afraid to risk the fight. We need to heal from our wounds that we suffer from. Guys, we need to pick up the cause and fight and get back into the battle. It's time for us to start living dangerously. And in order to do that, we have to surrender to God. In John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart, which is where I got most of my inspiration for this message, he says this. He says, A man is a dangerous thing. So is a scalpel. It can wound or it can save your life. You don't make it safe by making it dull. You put it in the hands of somebody who knows what they are doing. So many of us think coming to God is a second chance for us to get our act together. That's a huge fallacy because we will never, ever get our act together. We will continue to fail. And we're not going to win the battle in one day. It's a lifelong journey. And the battle that we'll fight, we'll fight till the day that we die. Hear me when I say this. There is no magic formula. There are not seven steps to success. It is only by relying on the Holy Spirit that we are given what is necessary to overcome. Paul says this in Romans chapter 7. He says, And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I want to do what is wrong. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And then later on in chapter 8, he says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. 
You know, in those movies like Gladiator and Rocky, the hero of the movie looks deep down inside themselves and finds this inner will to overcome, a self-motivated desire to win the day. But I'm telling you, the battle that you face cannot be won on your own. It's an impossible task. There is no Lone Ranger. There is no single Rambo against the whole army. You have to depend on God. It is only through God that you're going to find true healing from the wounds left by your father. I mean, we have to let God love us. I mean, we have to let him get really, really close and be vulnerable so that he can teach us the ways of manhood and only in the only way that a perfect heavenly father can. We need to pick up our cause and get into the battle. As we begin to close, I want to give you four areas, guys, that should be your battlefield. The first is the battle for yourself. Guys, if we're going to be the battle-ready warriors that God wants us to be, then we have to start removing all the things in our lives that keep us from living that victorious life. And you know what I'm talking about. Satan is going to attack you at your most vulnerable areas. And for most of us, for most of us men, that's going to be our purity. So we don't have time to go into all the dangers that are associated with lust, but you've probably already heard them before, and you know you shouldn't. But every time you do, you're left feeling guilty and helpless to change, and you're sidelined and out of the battle. First, let me say that you are not alone in this battle. Satan wants you to think that you're alone. He wants you to think that nobody else struggles with what you struggle with or that it's too shameful to share. But see, that's part of his strategy because almost all men struggle with it. And you need other men around you to help you with the battle. Look what it says in Ecclesiastes. It says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Guys, we can't do this by ourselves. We need a band of brothers who are going to fight by our side through every single battle. Who do you have in your foxhole with you? Because if you're alone, you're going to get picked off. You need to find other guys that will be there for you and help hold you accountable. If you have trouble even knowing how to approach other guys, I want you to know that the men's ministry is planning a canoe trip on July 21st. The cost is only going to be about $18. So I want you to put that on your calendar right now. And I want you to make it a priority. And I want you to plan to attend and meet some guys who are going through the exact same things you're going through. And find your band of brothers. The next battle you're going to have to fight is the battle for your wife. If there's a warrior at the heart of every man then there's a princess waiting to be rescued at the heart of every woman. Are you fighting to rescue your wife? Are you treating her like a princess? Brian and Sherry talked last week, of, last week about priorities. God first, spouse second. Is your wife your highest priority behind God? If there is one thing in my life that my wife has, has taught me, it's that every woman wants to be desired. They want to know that they're beautiful 
and that they're worth fighting for in your eyes. Does your wife know that? If not, then do whatever it takes to make her feel that way. If she's not the only object of your desire, then remove everything until it's only her that you look at. Do not let Satan take your best ally out of the battle. Do whatever it takes. If you need marital counseling, get it. If you can't afford counseling, let us know on your connection card. Because we have enough guys here who know how important this is that we'll make sure you have the funds you need for counseling. Do whatever it takes. Make your wife the priority. The third battle is going to be the battle for your children. You've already seen the power that a father has on his son. The same is true for the effect he has on his daughter as well. A daughter looks to her father to know that she is lovely, that she's valuable, and that she's worth protecting. And just as a son learns what it means to be a man from his father, a daughter learns how a man should treat her from her father as well. So we have a huge responsibility to our children. The Bible says that we, are, should, be, that we should be teaching them to know God and his ways. But more and more, our kids are growing up not knowing who God is. I mean, their morality is being shaped by everyone and everything but God. So the enemy is trying to take out the next generation of warriors before they're old enough to even enter into the battle. So make sure you're investing in your children. Make sure you're teaching them to know who God is and what God's about. The last battle you should be fighting is the battle for blank. And you need to fill in that blank. What is your passion? What has God gifted you to do? What set of skills has he given you that makes you an expert in a specialized area of battle? We all need to find that passion, that cause that we believe in enough to die for. Maybe it's helping the poor, or maybe it's defending children. Maybe it's single moms that need help. Maybe it's helping other men to find their way back to the battlefield. I don't know what it is, but we need specialists. And I can tell you as a church, we're looking for men to stand up and start ministries that they're passionate about. We have the guys in our church right now who could start a car ministry for single moms if enough guys would just take up the cause and stand up and lead, it would happen. We're always in desperate need of men in children's ministry. Are you man enough to face a five-year-old? Whatever it is, whatever your passion is, find it and start leading. And if you don't know, start somewhere. Start anywhere. Isaiah 1:17 says this, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for the rights of widows. Those are all noble things and you could start there. All I'm saying is that if we are going to be the church that God has called us to be, if TBA church is going to be the church that God called us to be, then we need men to start stepping up. And we need men to start leading. We need warriors. Men that are willing to risk the fight. There's so much that needs to be done. 
Let's get off the sidelines and start living life dangerously. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you love us as much as you do. And God, I, I just I thank you that you've created this amazing warrior side to men. God, I thank you that you desire us to live that out in our lives, that you're actually looking for it. Father, help us to, to live that out the way that you desire us to. God, help us to, to be the men you've called us to be. And God, we know we can't do it on our own. We know it is only in your power that it happens. So Father, please speak to our hearts and give us what we need to overcome. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand and let's continue to worship?